Here we are on the Afterthoughts podcast. I'm Kip Strawbridge and our other host, Lindsay Marsley. Hello. And we're continuing a series in John, the book of John, uh, entitled Life and Death at North Coast Church here. And um, this week we were, it was Easter week. So we had a Good Friday service followed by extra uh, weekend services for Easter. Uh, and in the service, uh, Chris Brown sharing this week and uh, really recapped where we went last week. So last week, Larry jumped into chapter six and hit the two miracles at the beginning, the feeding of the 5,000, followed by Jesus walking on the water, and then went into Jesus basically having a conversation with those who were following him as they're on their way to Passover. Um, and so uh, Chris coming back, there was a chunk Larry skipped. And so it was like, Chris will probably come back and do this chunk. So Chris came back to do the chunk, but I had to go back to the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walk out in water, and then get into this chunk. And kind of, in a sense, we got two messages on chapter six, both from two different perspectives. And uh, where Chris landed it, being Easter, and as, as typically Easter has uh, new visitors and, and other people, so the opportunity to share the gospel clearly and even make a presentation and a, and a challenge for people to respond in prayer. Uh, to receive Christ. Um, so that direction uh, kind of took him into ending with this section of chapter six, where it says that when Jesus kind of lays out who he really is and what he's really come to do, that there were people who were like, yeah, this is too hard of a teaching. I'm out, you know, it's kind of deuces and they walked. And then there was this little interaction, kind of a personal thing where Jesus looks at his disciples, the ones who've been walking with him, for a long time so far, the ones he had called and said, are you going to leave too? You know, it was almost like a, is this too hard for you? And they, one of their responses is recorded as saying, basically like, we've left everything. Where else are we going to go? Like you have the words of life. So it's this reiteration. And I think John is painting this picture for us to say that some will find the message of Jesus too hard, but those who realize that what the words Jesus has are the words of life can't walk away. And so Chris kind of left us with these three responses. You can reject it and you can straight up just go, no, thanks, but no thanks and walk away. You can pretend and go, that sounds great, but not really become a committed follower of Christ. Uh, the language often is like Jesus promises to save us, but asks us to make him Lord. Mm -hmm. And many people go, yeah, the save part. I like that. Don't want to go to hell. Uh, but then they go, hmm, the Lord part? I don't know about that. Um, a phrase I was thinking of when he was teaching was he made this comment about um, you wanting to be king of your life. And I think that analogy carries over. Most people can kind of understand that idea of like, yeah, I, I run my own life. I do my own thing. You know, you do you. You be the king. You do what feels right. And, and I was thinking, you know, is it fair to say, like, you you can't be king of your life when you're a Christian? And I'm like, you can be king of your life. This is my thought. I was like, you can be king of go. your life. You can rule. You can be the Lord of your own life as long as Jesus is the king of kings. That's the only way it works. Um, and so it's like, yeah, you need to be responsible for your actions as if you're the ruler in charge of it. Because Jesus isn't going to go around making the decisions for you. What Jesus being Lord of Lords, King of Kings means, if he's going to be the Lord of your life, means that the decisions that you make, yeah, you're going to make decisions as if you're in charge. You can't abdicate all responsibility to go, well, the devil made me do it. Or, well, Jesus is supposed to make everything happy for me. And I think that's the pitfall. It might be the launching pad for where we're going to go. 
is that no, it's, it's, you can be king of your life as long as Jesus is king of kings, as long as the authority lies with him, meaning I'm going to make the decision in light of him being in charge, but I still have to make the choices. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's the dichotomy that most people miss with Christianity is that it's a bit of a, yeah, I surrender. And so he's going to make my life good. And then he doesn't. So, okay, you let me down. I think I'm done with you. And I think that's the pitfall that people have is, is in a sense of, I guess it is that abdication of responsibility for their own life. So you still are responsible. You'll still be held accountable for all that you do. And so in those three, you could reject him, you could pretend, or you could truly commit. And he used the word consume uh, because he was making a reference to, uh, as Jesus used in that section of saying, basically in the Passover analogy is that the, if he's the lamb, they would consume the entire thing. That was the commandment that they would do after they killed it, put the blood over the door. They had to roast it and eat the whole thing. They couldn't leave any of it. And so Jesus was in a sense saying it's an all or nothing. You have to consume all of me. And so that was his reference there. Basically, it's an all in for Jesus. It's a pretend to be in for Jesus or it's a I'm not even going to pretend I'm out. Uh, and so those are kind of the three options, really, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to Jesus being Lord of your life, those are your three options. You really can boil every lifestyle, every choice down to those three. You've either rejected him, you've accepted him, or you're pretending that you've accepted him. Or you're you're good for now until something bad comes along or something better comes along. Yeah. So... Where does that take us today? Oh, man, you know, as I was here, I was listening to to all this and hearing you break yeah. it down. I I immediately go to okay, then what is my response to that? So let's yeah. say you know somebody who is bought into their faith. It's very personal. Mm-hmm. How do we respond in a way to the people who have rejected the fact that Jesus is the Messiah? You know, we we we, we saw people came and they, they Jesus was performing miracles in front of them, and that wasn't enough because. Right. That just it wasn't what they wanted there. I mean, for whatever reasons. And the, there's a, it's, I love, like the Bible, I love that the Bible is just irrelevant. Irrelevant, it's not irrelevant. It's just as relevant yes. now as it was back then. And how many times I think we actually see God working in our lives, but we say, hey, yeah, but that's not enough. Or that's mm-hmm. not, thanks, but that's not what I'm looking for. Thanks, but no thanks. I want to be king of my life. And, right. and, I guess I, maybe the where the conversation could go is if you are somebody who is taking your faith serious and you're you are actively growing your faith, it creeps into your relationships, it creeps into your, your friendships, it influences your friendships and it influences the people that you regularly rub shoulders with. And one of the big things that I have really had to navigate in my life is okay, if what happens if I encounter somebody that I care about but they up outright reject Jesus yeah. or, and I, I know I, I, something that Kip and I were kind of brainstorming. I think these are kind of two different topics, but the other yeah. side of it too is what do you do when somebody that you really care about who professes to be a Christian, a right. follower of Christ, not, you know, I'm not just saying who goes to church, somebody who right. actually says that they're going to follow God's, God's word, who's going to be in scripture and apply it to their lives. What do you do when those people mm-hmm. walk away from their faith or start to misrepresent yeah. Jesus? And it's a hard thing. It's it's a really yeah. hard, um, it's a hard situation to navigate. And 
I think a lot of Christians in the past have done it really poorly. And there's been a lot, there's been a lot of heartache left behind. There's a trail of heartache left behind with some people on how Christians have responded. But then I also see, um, I also see this whole trend nowadays of I'm just not going to say anything. I'm, I'm just not, I'm going to pretend like it's not there. My, my friend who, you know, professes to be a follower, follower of Jesus is, you know, partaking in X, Y, and Z. I'm just going to let it slip. And I think that is just as big of a tragedy yeah. as the other. Yeah. I mean, it's in a sense, you would, there's a biblical, you know, exhortation to believers uh, an instruction to believers to say, if there's another person who claims the name of Jesus Christ, claims to live, they're relying on Jesus to save them in their in, in for eternity, and they have professed that they've surrendered the you know lordship of their life to Him, uh, and then they don't act accordingly with what they profess, with what their claim is. There's incongruency between what they do and what they say they're doing. Um, that we as believers are instructed to go to that person. Um, and ironically, there's there's an implication of fellowship. This is the part that a lot of people don't put the spotlight on, but there's an implication or, or almost an understood that isn't addressed. Um, and if you don't really pay attention, you'll miss it, is that the believers are expected to be in fellowship and community. So when there's someone in that community, that fellowship of believers, that isn't acting consistently with what their profession of faith is. Uh, They're not following biblical principles. Um, They're not obeying the teachings of Jesus. As a believer, you're instructed to go to them and be like, hey, you know this, right? You know, because it's possible they don't, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's a step one in, in a sense, if you were to put it in steps, is like give them the benefit of the doubt. Speak truth into their life in love and say, hey, I love you. And because of that, I would, in a sense, you're saying, I would hope you'd say this to me if I were doing what you're doing. And when it comes that way, there's a humility to it. And so that's step one is to say, you go to the other believer in gentleness and humility and say, hey, what you're doing, the way you're acting, what you're saying, whatever it is, is not consistent with your you know, claim to follow the teachings of Jesus. That's not what Jesus would teach. Their response then dictates if you're done or not, because that could be it. It's like, they're like, oh my goodness, you know, like a new believer, you know, I've heard stories of people who are like, man, I had no idea, you know, I accepted Christ because I heard the good news of Jesus. And then I found out I had to stop smoking weed, you know, or whatever. It's like, whatever it was, like they just, it didn't click for them. They're like, I, I had to start changing stuff, you know? And that's what happens is there's that transformation in our life. This is what Chris was really getting at is that, there should be a transition in your life. It should look different. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't look different, then huh, maybe it's not different. Um, and so when you point that out, they should respond with a, oh, thank you. It should be a gratitude of going, I'm glad, one, that there's somebody who loves me. Two, I'm glad that I have a fellowship community that will hold me accountable. And three, I now have a responsibility to go and not only confess that I've made wrong to Jesus, um, but then also correct that action to try to, you know, uh, rid myself of those actions and, and take that to prayer and, and discipline. The second response is if they don't, if it says if they don't respond, they go, yeah, thanks for the warning, but I'm going to keep, you know, doing what I'm doing, trucking on down the road. Then it says, okay, so now they're blatantly disregarding. It's not an ignorance now. It's possible they were just ignorant. I didn't realize what I was doing. I got caught up, whatever, you know, hit the brakes. You're right. Get out of the car. I'm done. Um, And they they completely give up. 
The second one is when they go, yeah, thanks for the warning, but, and they just keep going. And then at that point it says, there's the, like, I love the grace of scripture is just like, okay, then go to them again. But this time bring someone with you so that it's not just a he said, she said, which is not only like, like probably really just good advice. There's just so much wisdom in that alone because it checks your motives as well, because there, it's possible that in your pride, you're responding to them in that way. But if you go to another believer and go, Hey, I went to so-and-so and I warned them I, and I challenged their actions according to biblical principle, not my own desire, you know, not my own expectations, but what I believe Jesus says, you know, what are your thoughts? And they go, yeah, you're right. And it's like, would you go with me to talk to them? And then you, you both go to them and you bring another fellow believer, which is supposed to be this community of trust, right? Now there's two people who love them, two people who have their best interests coming to them and saying, hey, it's an intervention, if you will, of going, it's time to stop, get out of the car or turn around and go the other way. And if they continue on, the instruction is that you then don't fellowship with them anymore. They're in a sense saying, I don't want your fellowship. I don't want your community. And I don't want to follow the teachings of Jesus anymore. And in a sense, you're doing what God says is give them over to their desires, their fleshly desire, whatever it is that they're, you know, desiring that is contrary to the faith. So um, that is the instruction. So I, I, that's the instruction. But then like they, not, there's not a but that it is what it yeah. is. And that's a hard reality to accept. Yes. Whether regardless of what end of that that you're on, and and I love what you said. So go go to wise counsel, mm-hmm. and because that creates a level of accountability. And if you're going to have that conversation and saying, "Hey, I care enough about you to have this conversation, and I'm going to call you out on this," mm-hmm. you better be very certain that you yourself are also living righteously because if not, like one, it it, it ruins your credibility and your character, but then. I mean, too, like the scarring that that has, the potential to hurt others that that has, it's it's huge. And that's, I think that's where a lot of Christians have failed. That's the hypocrisy, you know. So, and I, and I, I would say, too, it's like as you go through these different steps of it's, for me, and it's being a feeler, and Kip, it might be a little bit different for you, but for me, when I go through these steps, it's an emotional burden. Like I, I feel this loss and I feel like the death of this friendship. And I know this sounds super dramatic, but I love my people and I want my people to succeed and I want to cheer for them. And I want to do everything I can to make sure that that they are are loved and that they, that the person they are now is more complete and full and experience the freedom of Christ. Like I, I myself have experienced that and I want my people to experience that too. And so I, I I have gone through this the, this process if you, if you want to call it that, but I've gone through this with some important people in my life, and it's really hurtful when they say yeah thanks but no thanks, yeah. and you know and that and it's it, it, I think what's interesting too, but breaking this down a little bit more is what does it mean that if we don't have anything to do with them because it sounds really it feels and sounds really harsh when I say okay I'm just gonna up and cut them off, yeah. whereas I don't think and this is a Lindsay opinion. But I don't think it is, oh, you you just turn your back to them if you see them walking down the halls. Yeah. Or, you know, you 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 delete their phone numbers and you you never you never initiate yeah. conversation with them again. Because there there are people in my life where 
I still actively pray for them. Yeah. I will still reach out once or twice a year and invite them to a group thing that I'm pulling together, yeah. knowing that they're going to say no. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not texting or inviting them because I'm expecting a response back or for them to show up. I'm trying my best to play a part in keeping that method of communication open and to build some type of trust and if anything to say hey if someday you realize that there was something not to what i said but to what god's word said then i want to be here to say hey welcome home and i want to support you and you know so that it, it, it's there's a, there's it's a, hard <laughs> there's a difference that i think that that instruction gets taken it, it's it's how that gets applied mm-hmm. that I think often does more damage yeah. when the whole point of it was for the purpose of restoration. Um, number one is is it only really works if you have that fellowship. Mm-hmm. So in keeping in stride with that principle is like it's not my job yeah. to go and tell someone who I have no relationship with. You know, that's where we get the modern day Karen from. Someone mm-hmm. who thinks it's their right to tell everyone who's wrong that they're wrong. Yeah. And the biblical principle is, no, it's the, the center point of this <laughs> yeah. is around fellowship. Yeah. What you're to do then is to remove the fellowship from them. It doesn't mean you don't have to love them anymore. It doesn't mean, you know, you're not removing any of the other loving kindness things that you would do. Mm-hmm. You're still to pray for them. You're still, it doesn't mean literally like erase them from existence mm-hmm. because the goal of that have nothing to do with them is to bring them back into fellowship when they realize that that is the instruction and the reason that they're missing that fellowship that fellowship should be sweet enough that they miss it enough that it causes them to want to change that's the desire that's really what the instruction gets over that's the part that gets overlooked and then it just becomes okay step one two three i did step one two three so now i'm right and it's like it's not about you being right it's about maintaining the fellowship of the believers so that collectively as believers, we all are in harmony. And in that harmony, we become a light collectively to the people around us for the benefit of them to come in as well. Because if we have a sweet fellowship, others will see it and want to be a part of it. When we can't even maintain harmony inside our own fellowship, what good does that do to draw anyone else? Yeah. Why so, would anybody want to exactly. be a part of that? So that's the part about it that gets misconstrued too many times to go, oh, now I have step one, two, three. I get to do step one, two, and three. So I can be, it's like, there's no I in this at all. It's a we mentality. It's like your job is to restore the fellowship. Mm-hmm. It's not to make you right or them wrong. And, and, with that comes responsibility to have fellowship. Mm-hmm. It's the reason we put so much emphasis on life groups is that there is a place where common thought believers get together around biblical principles and share meals together and spend time together and talk about God's word together and challenge and encourage each other and pray for one another. That's the fellowship that we're talking about. So when someone steps outside of that fellowship and goes, I'm not getting that encouragement. I'm not getting that community. I'm not getting those those meals together centered around biblical, you know, conversation that, that it should be something they miss. You know, if they don't, then their heart has become hardened enough for whatever reason that that fellowship absence isn't enough to draw them back in. At that point, you can just pray for them because really what else are you going to do? You know, you've done what you're supposed to do. Remove that sweet fellowship. Um, So that's the principle. I love what you said. Sometimes you you just, you have to pray for them. And I I think that is what we have to remember. Our responsibility 
is not to fix people. It's yeah. to pray for them and it's to accurately represent Christ. And yeah. that's it. It's, it's that simple. It, I, I, I would love your take on um, really like the, what we're seeing a lot in culture nowadays is that don't tell me I'm wrong. You do you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do me. I'm going to live by my truth. And really like it's you can't from a biblical sense you can't you can't tie that to to what it looks like to submit to christ because we we cannot have our own truth and then submit to god's truth there is just one truth and so um what would you say if you're somebody who kind of struggles with that like hey don't tell me what to do right what are what are maybe some steps or indicators or safeties that you can put into place is whether that is making you more approachable it's increasing your desire to be more in line with god's word um yeah what what would you say to somebody who maybe has even been burnt by people who take christians who have taken it too far yeah but to sure you guys, it seemed initially like a really simple question until you got deeper into it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, it's fine. And we're running low on time, so I'll do this quickly. But um, in a sense, that's kind of that rejection. And I think that's what it is, is that even those who have received that biblically instructed correction of the fellowship and the, the exhortation and then walk away, in a sense, that person is rejecting God no differently than the non-believer at that point. Basically, they're saying I no longer want God to be Lord of my life. Um, and so it, we always are to pray for those who are on our heart, obviously, um, to have relationship that gives us the opportunity to speak truth into someone's life. The, the, the opportunity for truth comes from the opportunities of trust. So you have to build trust to be able to speak truth um, because that's the only coding that makes that pill go down. Um, is when someone can believe what you say. Um, and I think Jesus set that pattern. He backed up everything he said. So he said, here's what I'm going to do. And then he backed it up. Mm-hmm. And we have to follow that same pattern of we can't just say what's true. We have to do what's true. We can't say we love people. We have to actually love people. So when we speak the truth into people's life to say this life is the better life, this way is the only way. And that's the hard part about it is the gospel is offensive. That's the the loving truth is that the gospel is offensive to anything that goes against the gospel. Otherwise, who would want something that I I, I have a hard time understanding how someone could rationalize because I'm the thinker, right? So I can quickly if I if I can uh, put aside any pride and simply think logically. I cannot in any logical reason come to the conclusion that me doing what I think is best is best. There's no logical way that that pans out. The only way you can make that logical conclusion is by injecting pride into that formula. The only way you have to be arrogant enough to think that your way is the best way because any logical thought exercise will show you you're not perfect you make mistakes, you you're selfish, spots. you have blind spots. Yeah. Like there's so many things when you start adding it up to go, and you think that what you think is best? And it's like, then you think wrong, you know? And so I don't know how to get to that point. Um, and that's the, that's the difficulty in the question that you're asking is when there is pride or arrogance, I think that's not only the one thing that tips our pride the most, um, so it's hard to speak to pride 
because it flares up our own. Um, and pride's the thickest wall that's in the way of the gospel. Um, when someone has that wall up, there's very little you can do to get through it. It takes time and, and experience circumstance, usually. And unfortunately, they have to then be humbled um, in some way. And that humbling is not our job to do. That's the other piece. We think, oh, they're so arrogant. Let me give them a little piece of humble pie. And then they'll accept the gospel. And it's like, you think that's going to work? Like, Mm -hmm. knock them off their ladder and then they'll listen to you? It's like, no, you have to be consistently faithful and loving. And in that, trust builds over time. And when you build up trust equity while their life shows them that they are wrong, eventually that breaks and cracks through the pride and they realize, wow, what you said is true and what I thought was wrong. And it, you don't know how long it's going to take for them to get to that place. But humility is the beginning of that. Yeah. So. Even in, in the person who is sharing their concern, mm-hmm. humility is significant there as well. Yeah. Because you have to stay humble in order for, to be approachable. Yep. So it, it's yeah, I love that 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 is across the board. I'll also say this this goes along with it. But why I, I love what you shared earlier is like you need to be able to back up what you're saying. Yep. Also back up what you're saying because there there's likely a time in your life you're going to be approached by somebody who maybe has a legalistic claim against you, mm-hmm. and you need to know whether or not it is truth, whether or not it does stand. So if you are approached and scripturally, you can back up your actions. I think that's another measuring stick or a yeah. safety guard that you, you can also put 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 in there. And and when script when you are when you're submitting to scripture, there's no room for pride. Yeah. You know, it, it's only humility. Yeah. And I'll close with this because we are running out of we time. Are at our time. We'll close with this is that um, and and I would just encourage people. We'll finish with this encouragement is that you no circumstance in your life that you've overcome is is a reason why you shouldn't share like you're not disqualified from speaking truth because you didn't live up to it so while there's two sides of the coin while i say you have to back it up by living it there's other people who will then say well i didn't live it so i'm not qualified to judge others and it's like you're not judging others you're speaking truth Mm -hmm. Everyone's qualified to speak truth in humility. And I think the person who's actually walked the road can actually speak that with more humility than the person who never has. So sometimes there may be people who actually have gone down that road who can speak truth into that situation better than someone who goes, I've never gone down that road and you're going down it and you shouldn't, as opposed to someone who goes, I've gone to the end of that road. And I'm telling you, please stop, you know. And so never underestimate the power of your testimony because God uses that because especially if you've been down that road, not only do you do you have more authority as long as you don't wield it that way, but in humility you can say, I've been down that road and I'm humbly asking you not to go down it. So that was, that, was, that was good. Yeah. That's a great way to, to we'll finish it. there. So <laughs> thanks for joining us one more time. We're jumping into chapter seven next week. Hope to see you next week on the Afterthoughts podcast. Take care.